Yes. <laughs> Just, you, you people couldn't see my face, which was like stuck in a in a I mild distress. You maybe. were you had the face of a Jeopardy contestant who does not really know the answer <laughs> on Final Jeopardy, but has just wagered half of their <laughs> half of their winnings up to that point. Yep. This is this is what we call no poker face. Hello and welcome to Did I Do That? It's a podcast about kind of the the uh, mistakes we make on the way to to making graphic design because uh, it is a graphic design process. Uh, boy, I got to start over because I already fucked it up. <laughs> and this is the new name. This is the new name. Excellent. Okay, Did I? Here we go. Hello and welcome to Did I Do That? It's a uh, graphic design podcast about kind of the mistakes we make on the way to making designs because it's it's all part of the process. I'm Sean Schumacher and joining me today, a friend, a colleague here at the Portland State University. I'm I'm going to I'm going to add the uh, the definite article the to Portland State University because I think if Ohio State can do it, we can do it. We can do anything they can do except for raise a lot of money. They can do that a lot better. So you teach here with me. By you, I mean the guest. He's also a visual designer and a socially engaged artist uh, doing all kinds of, of amazing stuff and an alum of the uh, of the School of Art and Design. It's Jordan Rosenblum. Hello, Jordan. Oh, hello, Sean. Thank you for joining me. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I it, It's always very kind to hear that it is nice to be here as opposed to being outside, which today is just really lovely. <laughs> It's a really, really lovely day, and we are in a cavern. I, I had actually forgotten that until you just brought it up. <laughs> I could see, as soon as I mentioned it, just your face fall. We are we are in a windowless tomb, basically, here in the art building. It's not quite the same as having, like, a window, say, or sunlight, or anything like that. For the, the listener, <laughs> Jordan is looking around in awe of of the the majesty of my very bad kind of drop ceiling and well, as i as i mentioned when i first came in i i genuinely was charmed by it and then the more you draw attention to it <laughs> the more tomb like it feels yeah it, and and vaguely claustrophobic but until then well it's yeah. i mean it is the size of of basically decent walk-in closet and about kind of the same level of comfort you wouldn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time in there they don't call it a sit-in closet certainly but i don't know i don't know if that's totally true this is cozy now we're now we're playing around in some great real estate terms i mean it's cozy it's <laughs> quaint it's quaint quaint you know it's it's, it's got home. personality starter home it's certainly a starter great home. starter home what do you think this would go for on the great portland real estate market <laughs> 3.7. Oh, easy. easy, easy. I mean, great neighborhood. Listing price. They're listing low at 3.7. Yeah. It's downtown. Everything's walkable here. Everything that remains open. Well, yeah, except for except for coffee. Uh, we, we attempted to get coffee before the recording and learned there's basically nowhere to do it on weekends here. Not even the delicious donut place, which gave us a great fake out. Could We could have gone to Einstein Brothers and visited Bianca, the skeleton that has eyes that are cut out and lips that are cut out and glued to her face so, and a wig. So what I didn't understand about this was Bianca, it's hard the, to describe. the manager, was she working before pandemic beginning? Or you know, that's a, during the pandemic? that's a good question. I mean, Bianca is made of plastic, but it's not without possibility that Bianca had some sort of like maybe Halloween type of life. But now she is just a permanent fixture of this Einstein Brothers, uh, her and her very good wig and name badge that says Bianca. So Bianca is pulling down a paycheck. I, I certainly hope that if there is a, you know, like employee of the month type of thing that Bianca is, is getting that a good number of times because she's putting in the work. You could start that program there for them. I, I will say most businesses tend not to like <laughs> when you go in and pick the employee that is the employee of the month. Although... <laughs> Back home, the city of Las Vegas, I, there was one Christmas that I went home and for some reason, like there's 12, like for some reasons in this story, but like for some reason I was downtown in front of City Hall and for some reason out front of City Hall, there is a sign that says Las Vegas Citizen of the Month. <laughs> Which is such a weird concept. Well, who is choosing the citizen in that in that case? It's, what makes it even more bizarre is that the citizen of the month that was chosen was Starbucks employees. Just kind of in general, not anyone specific. Starbucks employees. 
So, and it, was it a, based on their civic duties outside of the Starbucks? We impossible don't know. Okay. to know. Okay. Just don't know. <laughs> it's Las Vegas, so I don't. Certainly, no one is giving back to the city in any way. How do you land on? We're picking Starbucks employee. First of all, everyone who's driving on Main Street, you're going to see this person and go like, yeah, I love Las Vegas and I love that this person is making it better. So you you already have to have that kind of written into your brain. And then you you have to print up a sign that says Starbucks employees after you choose Starbucks employees. And why? <laughs> so I guess I guess we could start a program like that up here, you know, maybe Maybe just out in front of the art building, we put up a big sign that says Citizen of the Month, Bianca, the skeleton mm-hmm. who has cut out paper, eyes and lips. Well, you can make it more honest. I mean, it could be like employee of the month in the greater <laughs> downtown Portland State campus area. So to, to put it in design parlance, it's kind of it's kind of a scope problem. It's a really. scope problem. Yeah. You have to determine the scope. Yeah. Yeah. We we really need to to laser focus this to this particular area. Skeleton is very fitting because there is nothing here. Yep. <laughs> it's a ghost town. But yeah, you were you were gonna say something after your introduction though. I can't go back. Are you kidding me? Like, that's not, that's not the way this works. So we work way forward. So Jordan, you are a you are an artist in addition to being a designer. The process is kind of like all mingle up. How did you kind of get into that like space? The crossed. Yeah. Crossed How did you cross space? the streams? I crossed the streams while in undergrad, I studied painting until my last year in which I switched into graphic design. Oh, shit. My quandary was about the role of the artist versus the designer in society. You had done the whole of the painting program. Did the whole deal. Absolutely. So what was was that feeling? What was that like, that decision to be like, actually, I think on this key question, I fall closer to design than to art. I was going to say the least honest and the most uh, (laughs) appropriate to respond (laughs) with. (laughs) is for me then, and I still have a question about it now, is that I was interested in the models of working in art that I knew then were very much about the art world. Not that that's one thing, but that in general. And I knew that the places I wanted to work, the kind of work, the kind of people I wanted to reach, the people I wanted to be in dialogue with were not kind of like, were not making things in in a definition of art that had to be contained in that way. Yeah, And so design made more sense to me in terms of that. So I think that there was this thing where I was like, well, I'm interested in communication. I'm interested in something that feels collaborative, that's more expansive, that lives in the world. And so kind of switched into that area of focus. I had never known that you had done any paint. Like what what was your painting like? I was a way better painter than I was graphic designer. I mean, <laughs> I, that's that hard become, to believe because you're a great graphic designer. Kind of you're way better than I am. Of them. I don't even know what that means, but thank you. Um, <laughs> Learning how to be like learning how to do visual design, whatever that means, was kind of hard won to me. Like, I think in some ways I had a natural facility as a painter materially and conceptually. And as a graphic designer, understanding, I mean, I guess no, maybe very few people like understand how to make typography, how to like do typography. But I remember I was like in rough shape. Like I started in that program and I did not feel like I had any idea what I was doing. But I was like one foot out the door in undergrad. I switched into graphic design and hated it. So I was like racing out the door, like cramming credits so tight that they formed a diamond. You know what I mean? It was like that. Um, You you had to fill out the overload form, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. No, I was like getting department chairs to like wave caps all over the place. Oh, boy. um, At any rate, completed. Not that it was, there were aspects of it I really enjoyed. Teachers I learned a lot from. And anyway, so I I was just done, you know. And so we're talking about, which I'm not even sure, like, artist designer role split place of design thing which i'm not sure there's even like necessarily a lot of about it well, it's, it's a controversial topic is it? like yes yeah. i've had this question come up this mm-hmm. is the fifth episode i'm recording who knows what order they're coming out in so if you haven't heard <laughs> some of these talks listener stay tuned stay tuned i guess um ding, 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 ding. but yeah like half the guests that i've talked about this with have been really adamant that there's a big big, big difference. There's, you know, 10 million acres of difference and half have been like, no, they're, they're pretty close. They're pretty mushy. Mm-hmm. And especially your practice, like mm-hmm. it's that sort of like mm-hmm. Ouroboros mm-hmm. of the two. Totally. 
Two snakes eating their own tails. Yes, indeed. Two snakes interwoven, both eating their own tails. Yeah. You know, as someone who's had most of their professional life has been in fields of design and done all kinds of different things. And so, um, and yet just went back to school in my early 40s and got a degree an MFA really in social practice in a field of art. For those of you who don't know what social practice is as a field, like I think it, in a in a way it is kind of the closest art field there is to design because it is it is very oriented towards like other people. It's not and specifically like collaboration with other people to make the thing. And I think that's that's a lot of what design practice really is. Like you are you are trying to like pull in the influences of the client and figure out what the client actually needs. And that's a little bit more direct, certainly with, you know, with social practice, but like it's oriented towards that mutual sharing, mutual sharing network. Mutual sharing network. Mutual sharing network. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the mutual sharing network, everyone. This hour, we've got a wonderful thing of Tupperware full of old Thanksgiving leftovers. We are just sharing them. There's no price other than shipping and handling, which is $59.99. And we've only got two tubs left. So if you want these old leftovers, please call now. So you could put that in a totally different direction as like a mutual aid society. You know, so this oh, could yeah, actually that would could be, be a better like a radical. Way. That would yeah, be a real yeah, way of doing it. Yeah. Tupperware. <laughs> Route, but you know, <laughs> this this is why I'm not a thought leader in any way. Is my thought goes straight to QVC? Maybe it could be like a QVC mutual aid network. I mean, that would be great. Can we just turn QVC into that somehow instead of having them sell weird Shaquille O'Neal egg making devices? Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> has a lot of egg making devices now for some reason. Did you know this? I didn't. Yeah, he's gotten really big into eggs, which I guess somebody had to, but it's hmm. very weird to see how many different egg specific products. I, I respect Shaquille that egg O'Neal innovation had. is still a thing. <laughs> For for Shaq in the egg space, the space where we all go to when we are we are compressed opposite Big Bang style into a single shape and ovoid an egg. Mm. That's the egg space. So I'm I'm curious. You you brought in some some work, some of your earlier work to share. Um, what what did you bring in? So not much is the answer. I was I was saying this off air before we started. Yeah, and um, early career was a long time ago. That said, I'm actually like much more embarrassed or not embarrassed like um it feels, it feels much more vulnerable to show recent work than past work because it has like a sticky aliveness oh yeah i i think that's part of why this isn't a recent things that you're embarrassed by podcast indeed because i think that would cause me to melt so in kind of looking through prior work and thinking about today from eons ago, the only thing I could find from my college life as a design student were two notebooks that were basically submitted. They're like wire bound, right? And then Which submitted. is very edgy right now. So like edgy. We were talking very briefly about how much of that aesthetic has kind of reemerged right at this moment. Oh, totally. And they're just these like collections of scraps and like visual exercises. And it was really fun to find these in thinking about working with students now, right? And yeah. so thinking also about like the kind of process that I was engaged in then and the kind of like, um, like the work is hideous. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It's certainly of R its time. R ridiculous is maybe the better <laughs> word, not hideous. Um, it, I mean, it, ha it has it has strong grunge design vibes, certainly. Yep. And it's funny because we were talking about grunge design of the era. Yeah. And uh, this, I, I think that stuff is, is a little bit more filtered through like the early 2000s kind of poppy kind of cyber aesthetic mm -hmm. than just like pure like 1995. Mm -hmm. There's some ink on the paper. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This that is definitely like this has got the like we're using Helvetica and then like destroying <laughs> Um, like, look, you can like break it up in Illustrator, you know, and, yeah. like, and like stretch it. So that was definitely what's happening in these. But also like it's been like fun to revisit that and just look at what like an open, stupid process <laughs> 
without constraints might feel like. Yeah. What is in that book exactly? Like, right, let's do it. Well, you've, so, got, you've got something with a bunch of little flaps on it, which I'm very curious. Yeah, this is the one I'm most excited about it. And this was, I, I remember that I have two process books, one of which was for my thesis and the other one was for an independent study. I am friends with Matt Monk, who is my advisor of the era and is now the dean at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. So I should ask him if he has any recollection of what this was. Anyway, most of the images that are in this book seem to be crude vector drawings of computers, <laughs> most of which are that like first generation. What was it? Was it IMAX? It was oh, sure. IMAX, right? Yeah. But, the like, the blobby blue friends. Blobby blue friends. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blue, boo. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, Yeah. Um, I remember like being interested in this like commodity computer and the idea of like the fetishization of this thing. And even knowing then that its form is like totally ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. <laughs> it looks ridiculous then. It's like vaguely sexualized. Well, they, they pushed that so much. Like when you look back at those old ads, it's all just like like it's a car commercial, like sweeping shots going over the translucent case whoa well and they're, they're still doing that right yeah um and this idea of sexuality was just bubblier than the one now which is like sleek <laughs> um a lot of this was like playing with that as a convention this i have to say of any of the sketches here this is going to be my favorite which is the one sean has noted where it's like a what do you call that? I'm Jewish, so I don't remember the name of it. Oh, like an advent, advent calendar. Ah. Yeah. So it's like an advent calendar with squares cut out. And as you reveal them, it evolves from a half circle down into a fully formed <laughs> iMac. What? Why? I have no idea. <laughs> so, so it's like <laughs> kind of, kind of, you're just evolving an iMac over, over the course of the advent, I yes. guess. Uh, so I don't, I don't think this was sophisticated enough to be like some kind of, um, reference to <laughs> the birth of Jesus. That's what an advent calendar is. It's a Christmas I, thing, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I only vaguely know. And that's basically like the summation of all the work that was done in an independent study over the course of a term. Well. What was the point of this independent study? It I seems like you're doing lots of different random things. Yep. I really have no idea. <laughs> so like what what I know is like, so there's like four things happening here. There's all these references to the form of an iMac. There are these, all these photos I took from stores that had closed that were having closing sales. So like TJ Maxx's and stuff like half empty superstores. Oh, sure. And then bits of flow charts with nothing in them it's a very yellow picture oh it's certainly quite yellow. exceptionally yeah, yellow yeah, yeah, yeah. it's you, warm you thought instagram filters were intense <laughs> get ready for the natural yellow of this friend yeah there's things that's i don't know there's a lot of references to like a strange abstraction and i have a quote from a book on malevich here kazimir malevich the Oh, sure. Right? The quintessential Russian avant-garde painter and the, designer. And it's kind, kind of the, the person who, who birthed the abstract movement, who kind of. birthed the abstract movement. Yep. Yes. Red Square style. And it says, changes of perception based upon shifts in mechanical procedures normalizing into perceptions. That's kind of what this is? Or? <laughs> I think exactly. <laughs> but what I'm loving about this, and I think that that like probably summizes so here's i'm like really dipping back this is a long long time ago and this is heady but i think that the interest was in oh i got it so malevich's core um some of his core interest was the idea is bolshevik ra revolution right in russia yeah and the idea was that if you radicalized art it would radicalize people in their lives so their social political reality would be radicalized in seeing radical art and i love this idea and the idea of like the iMac and the abstraction of this form that is so commodified, I was interested in the like putting up side by side of these two things. It was almost like, a, right, the consumption of capitalism, like consuming the abstract yeah, in a different way. And so I was like a punk rock kid, you know, and 
I, I was, this is very deep. For sorry, yeah, we're going. <laughs> you are not going to use any of this. No, I I'm going to use all of it. It's <laughs> fucking great. This is not making the cut. I I love how like, but like every this is this is a book, but like every page of it is so totally different. Like there's there's that IMAX shape again, but it's like yeah, it is flowchart. It is psychology is in the middle, right where the kind of CPU lives. Uh, languages art is, is right up near where I think the microphone was up at the top <laughs> and then form is right where that great CD ROM drive is. It's being propped up by psycholinguistics. I always call that the foot of the iMac. And then, you know, culture is right where the Ram slot is. I've had to disassemble a number of these. So I know, I know where the parts go very clearly. Um, and then logic and mathematics, everything's going right towards there, except after that, it goes back up to language and art. The idea of um, culture where the RAM slot is and psycholinguistics being the foot <laughs> is extremely visceral. And I like it. That's how I, I think this podcast is going to get quoted in textbooks for years to come mm-hmm. with whatever goofy title I give it, which might be psycholinguistics as foot. Psycholinguistics going to be hard foot. to beat that as title. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many fold out pages in this. Which I always enjoy. They're always a little gift when you get a fold-out page because you don't really have any sense of what you're looking at. I like, f- this book looks mostly blank until you... Oh, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it, like, presents terribly. It's, it, like, you know, there's basically no content what, in it. I, also, like, what grade did you get on this? Like, because this is, this is independent study. This is, this is essentially your, a, a class worth of credit. Yes, this is a class worth of credit. And I don't remember if there was a larger, something else must come out of this, must have, but I don't know what it was. Um, and so maybe it wasn't. I Like this was, I, I was, don't know. I feel like this is plenty for an independent study. You oh, made thanks. a book. Oh, thanks. Yeah. This is like a note to undergrads. Um, I got really good at working the system. So I would like to squeeze out of classes I didn't want to take and then to find faculty that I felt kindred with and getting to work with them. So I really like worked those edges. Yeah. And so this very, very clearly feels like a byproduct of that. Um, which was you, like, you found not the person. A lot of parameters. I found the person. <laughs> um, my, my recollection is that the independent state was mostly the two of us talking, you know, it was playing with this content and like bringing in something to look at. And so that's my recollection is that this book is like an afterthought. And if I was a faculty who received this, I'd be pretty frustrated by it. Cause like you said, it takes like an hour to open up all of these blank pages to see what's going on. And, I mean, at least everything doesn't have like a million little belly bands. Like, every student portfolio did for like five years oh, here. the belly bands. Belly bands. were little bands that went across a thing and they were never the right size for the thing. And they were always made of paper and you would never be able to get them back on again. It was the worst. It was the worst thing. Don't, <laughs> if you're making a portfolio, friends, first of all, don't make it physically because what are you doing? What, what year do you think it is? But second of all, don't put little belly bands on it. <laughs> Preciousness is not a great. Um, yeah, yep. It's it's like it's the Tobias Funke thing of like putting a whole bunch of glitter in your <laughs> in your like box with your CV and headshots. There like, it is. No one wants that. That's yeah. going to only work against you. You've got you've got your other. This is this is like a sketchbook though, right? This is a process book, if I recall. This is a process book. I don't even know how to talk about this one. It is, it's much in the line of the other one. Yeah. What What is it the process of? So this was my degree project proposal. So in oh. at PSU, this would be like... Like you come up with a thing that you want to write your thesis about and yep. then you, you have to make it in the next term. Mm-hmm. So this is like the thing that would come out of that first proposal stage. Yep. So this is telling to me also, should I do this? Can I like read something? I I would love would a dramatic. I could do dramatic. What it, it's up to you. Okay. So I'm going to pass it to you. I'm going to have you read it if you're okay. willing to. I would say just for visual record, the core proposal is about a hundred words. And then there's about 600 words of footnotes based on it. I'm going to pass that to Sean. <laughs> Holy shit, there's a lot of footnotes. You were you were not kidding around. Jordan Rosenblum, DP Proposal. I'm interested in consumer culture, a culture of sensationalism, and a culture of the visual. It is a culture obsessed with authenticity, 
with the genuine, a culture where meaning is extrapolated from style, where form is the fundamental location of context. It is a culture of consumption, of unsatiable aesthetic hunger, which dictates a perpetual cycle of co-option and obsolescence. I am interested in the culture of sound bites. I am interested in small events which seek to totalize complex actions. I am interested in the movie trailer. I am interested in best of compilations and in all-star games. I am interested in special episodes. I am interested in the mundane and droll described by the monumental and grand. I am interested in examining how the inauthentic can be reconstructed to construe new meaning. I would like to investigate how sincerity functions through a lens of irony. Holy shit. That's a, I don't usually you kind of want to limit the scope a little bit on on these. You you kind of did it so that you just have like the biggest possible scope. You're interested in all the things in the entire planet earth. And then you're going to look at it through the lens of irony. How many, you mentioned uh, you made a video as a result of this. That was your actual thesis. How, how many hundreds of hours was it long? Cause I, <laughs> I would think it would have to be quite a few. No, but it's sound, but I'm it's sound bites. Did I not list 300 things that I'm interested in? You're interested in a specific? lot of things. Best of compilations, yep. all-star games, check, special check, episodes. Check. I don't think any of those things really still existed. Anymore, which is kind of sad. What references are. No, that my recollections of the video itself was, and again, I haven't seen it in 15 years was about like 10 minutes long and comprised of random commercials and movie trailers that I spliced together overlaid with some Foucault. All right. Michel like Foucault, the French philosopher yeah. right? and linguist, like running along the bottom as a scroll, like it was a uh, um, sports ticker, <laughs> you know, and um, and spliced together with animations that seg that segued them together. And then some like really moody indie rock. Like that it would like that there was no uh, it was a um, soft application of these soft principles. Kind, kind of kind of a cool. visual collage. Visual collage yeah. is what I would it is what I would consider. As, as opposed to the non visual collage. What am I doing? Yeah, nicely done. Yeah. Video collage. Sound collage yeah. thing now. Yeah, um, oh sure. See? No, but it was I mean in my so I, I, I made this video and then I also produced a series of drawings that were movie titles. So I would take the type I take movie titles, I'd reset the typography and then create these drawings from them um, that were like kind of abstract. And most of them were Cold War based. It was like Red Dawn. And then like they were actually mostly war movies. Uh, Heart of Darkness was oh, another sure. one. And so it, it was this. I, and I don't know how you square that with the idea of the degree proposal. <laughs> but I will also say like you, you've given yourself a lot of space to work. I will have, say have that. Have you seen me work now? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> Like the the slightly terrifying thing is that like this could be my degree project now. Like yeah. I just completed a thesis as a graduate student, and I actually was designing it the same way, where I had really? this book that had like three million footnotes and like three senses of text, and I had completely forgotten about this. And so, where what was how did you kind of get started after school? Like, what did you where did you land? Yeah, I started off in book publishing and I got hired. I got an internship that then became a job as soon as I got out of school, that kind of story. And it was for a small imprint called Copernicus Books, which no longer exists, but at yeah. the time was being run out of the Princeton Architectural Press publishing house. So, but essentially it was a trade science publisher. So they designed huh. popular science books. And Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. And I reached out to Princeton Architectural Press because I was like, I love their stuff. So the publisher of really, really beautiful architecture and design books yeah. and have expanded. This was obviously about two decades ago. So they've expanded a lot in the kind of things they do. They didn't have an internship available, but they kind of offered this to me essentially and started as an intern and had almost no oversight to the, wow. the creative director of Princeton Architectural Press, then Deb Wood, who was a fantastic designer. We had some contact and were friends, but really I was almost left to my own devices. And so learned on the job. They hired me then as the design director out of school. It was like completely inane. I had no idea what I was doing. What? Um, that's, that's crazy. That's also been the arc of. So you you went from graduating with design just being your last thing that you did in school to to being design director of a of a publisher. Yeah, it was nuts. And and 
Yeah, wow. Like, and like we did, they weren't teaching, like I learned it on my own and was laying out thousands of pages of books in that first year, several thousands of pages, wow. 12 full books in that first year and had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I was like very <laughs> blessed to have Deb Wood there and the editor in chief of Copernicus and the, the publication director. There were people in there who really helped immensely. And I was just figuring it out, which has been kind of the arc of a lot of aspects of my career, it seems. But long story short, that's how I started. And I spent the first year doing that. That's such a crazy start. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was totally bizarre. And and <laughs> it was quite strange to have that happen and really beautiful. I like knew it was unusual, but maybe not quite how unusual it was until later on in my career when I, when I didn't have such like amazing opportunities, which aren't always consistent, of course. Well, but I think that's also like the weird thing about this field is like a lot of times when you're working in-house at a, at a job like that, where you're not with other designers, so you don't really have the context, but yep. you still did the work. Like you turned out 12 books, which is astonishing. And, I mean, and that's a good point too. The idea of like, you don't know because you don't have it. There's no way to know. Yeah. Like there's no reflection going on. And if your experience is limited, all, like what you're seeing is your experience, right? That's your frame. And speaking of like this, this is, I'm holding in my hand, the first book I oh. ever designed. Oh, shit. That was published. And I, this was, I was still in school. So this was like as a intern, I designed this book from scratch and I recently Free, free bought a copy for like two dollars it's like an ex-library book no one has this and it doesn't matter anymore so this is it wow which is like a diminutive five by seven um a little blue and purple little blue and purple book called the little book of stars by james kaler and what i what i did like about this so should i just pass it to you yeah sure and when I'm teaching typography and publication classes i've been showing this once in a while now because i think it's like so flawed to me you know, I look oh, at it and Jordan. I'm like, how could I have? <laughs> I have I have terrible news. This is actually very good. <laughs> you don't want to see my first book that I made because this blows it out of the water. Um, Holy hell. Now I, do, I actually do want to see the first book you ever made. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't make any presumptions. I, I don't. Uh, do you do have I something? Have uh, but this is like, this is really lovely. It's a great size, first of all. It's a great size. It's really, like, it fits in the hand very nicely. But it's 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 mostly type and pretty beautiful type. And Well, it's arguable. And what I actually, the other reason I brought it in is because it consequently also became a series. Oh. And so this is, again, not interesting at all to people who can't see them. But... <laughs> I That's brought, the fundamental problem of this this concept, ultimately. No, it's kind of, I think you should just like, we could spend the whole episode just describing things that yeah. are just text on a page, especially people who aren't typographers. <laughs> it's going to be totally fascinating. Yeah. Um, Imagine uh, it's it's kind of like Times New Roman, but you know, like not. Um, so right now what I'm doing is I'm passing two more books to Sean. All right. And the oh. reason this is like straight up typographer design nerdery is that I have three books, all of which were designed within a year, and they're only subtly different, but the design pattern emerges. And the things that I'm really embarrassed about from that first book to the third book, most of which kind of like disappear. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking right now at the little book of bees. The big thing that jumps out at me is you got a whole lot of words on every one of the pages in the first one and you you really give give a lot more space a lot more margin around those things so they're not like in the spine of the book so much anymore which is very nice very much appreciated i don't remember you're doing a way better job than i did i'm like i don't know i didn't really look <laughs> well this i i'm i'm gonna take a wild guess and say when I did a design a long time ago. I don't really remember very many details about it. So No, but what you're saying is exactly right. I think one of the things that became clear to me and like just playing out a little bit of this thought exercise was how the things that are embarrassing to me about prior design is almost always really subtle. Yeah. It's like it's like details that I'm embarrassed about that like haunt me in my in my work. It, it was great to have like a book that I basically got to redesign because it, you like get to I can see over the course of a year, even in the yeah. life of a young designer, how much of the detail I could learn and how much for me now, like that that's where the stuff I'm embarrassed about 
lies. And that's still the case in a lot in a lot of instances of doing design work. So when you had to go back in, like how much of like these next two were just like, well, I learned a lot. I'm so tired of this and this and this from what I did before. Well, this was in some ways, it's also a perfect example for, I think, how it's just so funny how this stuff works, right? Looking back, it's like, I don't know which case. It's like a chicken and egg scenario thing where I'm like, okay, did this process then inform how I am as a designer? Or is it because of the way my mind works that makes this a kind of like a great exemplary project? I had to work backwards to think about how to systematize the first design. And so, and and like make it into a full brand. Because all of a sudden it became the little books series. And it kind of kept expanding. So even though the things that were, I just chose to include in the design then became thematic on the cover is like the most significant one where you have this. Uh, and it's it, like a split. You it's got, a split. Yep. You got, Go I'm, on the earthquakes and volcanoes one, on the top you've got a volcano, which I, I love the flip of <laughs> volcanoes is second in the name. But it, the picture of a volcano, it's really selling the book. And on the bottom you've got like a like a medieval type of drawing of, a, of an earthquake, I'm guessing. The split even extends all the way around the book. So you've got like this split on the back where it's like orange on top and, and gray on the bottom and like the whole when the ground starts shaking mm-hmm. thing goes goes over that. Uh, I also I love that these are library books. <laughs> like I one of my favorite things um, has always been finding old work of mine in Goodwill's. Because you like it's been loved and someone hung on to it for all this time. What have you found in Goodwill? Well, I, I found a copy of my first ever book up in a Goodwill up here, which is so wild to me because it's like someone else was in Las Vegas at that exact moment and had a copy and moved up here. And like eight years later, finally decided I can give this away. But like it was with them that whole eight years. <laughs> like like it had that kind of life is is really wild and now it lives in a drawer or something in my apartment so i kind of i did kind of kill it in that sense mm. but you know like sometimes sometimes you do have to do that and like that this was a library book like how many little kids learned about i'm gonna guess well, earthquakes and volcanoes i bet was a hot seller in terms of checkouts at library well but the fact that these have all been dropped whatever it's called, right? Like expatriated from the library. Oh, true. It's not a good sign yeah. for their longevity. At any rate, it makes them very cheap to find now. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I went back and like started to buy up one copy of each of these old books I designed forever, forever ago. It's uh, kind of fun. It's so good. Yep. They're they're really lovely. They're really Thanks. lovely together. I mean, to have, to have this to be your first, like your first uh, design project essentially is like, it's so, it's so exciting. What, what was it like? Like, did you get that feeling the first time you held it of like, Oh, this is, this is really special. Or were you already just done with it? That's a great question. I've definitely had both experiences. (laughs) As have I. And it's maybe case by case. Yeah. I, I don't remember the feeling of that last one. The general sense is still sentimental and kind of lovely despite its flaws. And so that's like the general feeling of it but i i completely hear that that case by case kind of relationship to the thing you've designed do you have ones where you're just like oh god yes i have i have so many things that i look at and i'm just like aghast at like what what was i thinking did i do that and i did it turned out Mm -hmm. i i did it and i made it bad sometimes that happens it's tough. I mean, in like contemplating this idea of going back a little bit through older work and being like, what's embarrassing or what's not, or how does that kind of fit with me? I realized there are a couple of things. Like another later chapter of my design work was at the very beginning of like iPhone 3. So I was, I worked oh, for a tech sure. company startup and we were designing apps before the app store even existed. So yeah. The, the web app thing. Yep. The- Everybody loved. We're doing it. Developers just really were into that. And there's nothing I can show from those four years. Really? It's like so dated. The UI is so dated. Yeah. And the UX is still like, you're like doing nice things. Like the continuity of how you move through things and the user experience is like solid, but they look ridiculous. (laughs) This was an era of like gloss buttons. So shiny. And then the like deep shadow, like move from that. Remember that? Whatever they call it. It's still. The skeuomorphism. Yeah. Skeuomorphism. Like it has all of those tropes. And I don't know how it's like as someone who hasn't consistently worked in that industry. Right. So I did that for a number of years and then kind of stopped doing it. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't go in my book. Like I can't 
possibly show that because it's embarrassing. And well, that that whole vibe is just completely evaporated from the world. This is like one of the crux questions about embarrassment as a designer is this idea of being on trend, of course. Yeah. And the longevity of a design is so baked into this for me. Yeah. Well, it's like necessary, but it's also a trap too. It's It both. can't not be both. It's right. That's exactly right. It can't not be both. And it, maybe it's a disservice that what we're describing is that like, so we just disappear the things. Like it's just an interesting thought experiment to actually be like, I can show you work that I'm like, oh yeah, this is like kind of embarrassing. That's involved, but I'm not showing you the stuff that actually is like, oh no, you just can't show that. <laughs> that needs to be banished from the world. Everything I've produced, I'm just like, no, you just can't show that. Oh, there are like, whole years of my practice that are in a dumpster. Yep. I mean, if I pulled out my NFL Super Bowl app that I designed in like 2010. What? You yeah, made the, the Super Bowl app. We made the Super Bowl app All for right. NFL in 2010. There is so much chrome on that fucking thing that like. <laughs> what is this, a Ford Mustang? It's like a, yeah, it's like, it's like a Michael Bay feature oh, film in, in app form. You know, it's like Transformers in an app. It's like not, um, <laughs> not okay. <laughs> um, but like that stuff is gone, you know, and, and that, that's always also a question about how we kind of present ourselves and appearances as designers about like the, the whittling down of the 5% that's visible versus the 100% that builds a livelihood. Yeah. I and mean, that's not the case for everyone, but I certainly my practice has felt like that. There's the 5% that I'm either really excited about or proud of or feels close to my heart or whatever it is that like I want to live in the world and want people to see in association um, with me. So it's yeah. like, it's almost like that's the bigger question almost to me, you know, after that, where did you, where did you wind up? Like what, what was your next kind of big leap? I left. Um, and part of that is heavy restless energy. It's, it's taken me a long time to realize this about myself, which is kind of amazing is that on the bell curve of learning, as soon as I kind of start like curving over the top it becomes challenging for me to stay with something. So oh. like, I love to be in a position of big, 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 big learning. And once I like feel myself cresting, I get restless. And so I left that job really to do my own thing. And they were amazing at the time. They didn't hire anyone to replace me. And instead I just became a freelancer for them. So they were a client and that went on for a couple of years where I was still working with them as a client. Wow. And, and so picked up other things. So started to work for, a number of galleries. At this point, I was doing a lot of work in the art world because a lot of my network was there. I worked for a couple of other the big publishers in town. Um, I think I did some work for Random House and HarperCollins and Penguin. So I had a period where I was doing like dribbles of things for them and nothing breakthrough. Like I didn't, I didn't do any projects that I felt like really like upped the game. I was like kind of operating. I don't know why I'm being self-effacing in that way, but it's also true. I felt like that, like I never kind of jumped deeper into book publishing and looking back, of course, I'm like, Oh, I totally could have done that. It would have been a great career and very straightforward. But I also remember <laughs> interviewing with someone at Penguin who was a creative director there and asked them about their career. And this was the job they had had for 20 years, you know, and I could not wrap my head around it. Oh no. I mean, I was like, Nope. Like, I mean, I was just like, it was such a flag for me. It was such a clear, like that will not be me. And I just knew that that's not my trajectory. Yeah. Um, and that did mark a lot of these transitions I've had in my career um, from relatively fancy, high paying jobs to like really operating without an income, you know, or with very, very minimal income scraping by. And so I've had these real almost erratic <laughs> um, career <laughs> shifts. I mean, the life of a freelancer, ultimately. It is. Absolutely. Like is. You're, yeah. some, some years you're just rolling in it and you cannot do all the work and, some years you're just like, hey, all you people who wanted 12 projects last year, where'd you go? Totally. Don't you have anything now? No? Yep. Why did you all want it in September? I think what could be our what could be our last question. What are you like what what are you most proud of that you've you've done as a designer? It's a hard question. That's the thing. Yeah, no, I'm like that that's 
it's a hard question for several reasons. One of which, of course, is that like it's much more comfortable to talk about the garbage, right? Yeah. Than it is to actually <laughs> talk about the things you're proud of. Um, I am like genuinely st- <laughs> stumped. This is this is truly the designer's brain at work. Is it's like we we really struggle with this. I like will, I, I will pick shit apart. But as, you ask as me, I was asking the question, I was trying to think of what that would be for me, and I don't know either. I have no clue. Yeah, even I'm like trying to come up with the terms to evaluate that. Yeah. Meaning, right, like there's projects I've done that have outcomes that I'm proud of. Yeah. Right. Or for organizations that I'm proud to have worked with. Yeah. But I don't necessarily like the work or. <laughs> Why or is that so often the case you know? too? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Because it's like the trifecta of like the experience of producing something, the outcome and the quality of the work. Yeah all are different things um, and can go sideways and some go well and some not on a project. So it's so tricky. My honest answer for that, at least in my extremely uh, short-term memory, maybe that's why, is that I'm actually, the things I'm actually thinking about are the things I'm working on now. And maybe that's how it works. Yeah. Right. Like the truth is what I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm working on this project. That's this new set of interpretive panels for a site in Hillsborough with the Five Oaks Museum. Oh. And so that is super alive to me, and I'm really proud of the work that's happening. I just did some design work for this project that we're calling Momentary Monuments with the artist Michelle Luminato. And, uh, oh, did fellow PSU uh, faculty yes. members. So we just did a public project, and, and, and for that I designed this, like, little resograph printed thing that was like a combination worksheet and flyer. And participants would make little drawings on it and submit them. We have this whole collection of little drawings that like, but the, the design of the worksheet really facilitated. And I'm like that. And so maybe that's just the reality is that like in any given moment, the thing I'm excited about is the thing that I'm proud of and that feels alive to me. And so that's my honest answer. That's a really good answer, though. And I think I, I mean, that gets to so much of the core of like, like I, I always tell students like, you know, you you don't necessarily want to be looking back at your work from four or five years ago and go like, that's awesome because you're probably not like in the moment so much and you're not maybe growing your practice as much as, as you ought to be. Things keep on changing hmm. and you got to keep on changing hmm. and you will anyway, whether you want to or not. Obstru- yes. <laughs> you, you, you people couldn't see my face, which was like stuck in a, in a, I, mild distress you were you had the face of a jeopardy contestant who does not really know the answer (laughs) on final jeopardy but has just wagered half of their (laughs) half of their winnings up to that point yep this is this is what we call no poker face (laughs) just like edit everything else out after this but i no, i think i mean because like the other because yes and that's so lovely and i think it's true it's like push your design push your process push your design if you're not unhappy with what you did then there's like something wrong you should be continuing like all that is true and the the flip of that is from a visual perspective there's also no question that when i look at some of the book covers i was designing in 2003 i'm like oh that's the best work i ever made wow so it it it's also so it's like yet yeah, it's like yes and yeah. like like if I look if it's just on there's a little bit of both and part of that is because that stuff to me is actually kind of timeless and so there is a little bit of a rub there for me and so I I don't I'm, I'm not like problematizing problematizing what was very <laughs> nicely resolved um, but you got to yeah. get there to know what feels right mm-hmm. like and the truth is like what I would like most is just to be enthralled and engaged and proud of what I'm working on in that moment yeah like that is like. If I had a practice that was fulfilling that and that every two years my work looked like garbage, I'm like, that's great. Like, I'm in good working relationships and collaborating with people that I really love to work with and I'm learning a lot and um, engage with content that's interesting and doing good in the world. Like, great. In a moment, like, I'll take that and it can look like trash in two years and that's totally fine. <laughs> so, Jordan, if, if people want to kind of learn more about you, where can they find you? Good luck. Uh, <laughs> 
you couldn't even find a bio for me. Um, my website. Well, I, I, I didn't think to look at your website, which oh, is even better. Certainly my mistake. So I have a website that is jordanrosenbloom.com. Um, depending upon the airing date of this podcast, there may be nothing there other than a paragraph of text, which is current. But <laughs> the, um, the the 2021 designer's website. That's exactly right. But 2022 is going to be a full refreshed portfolio site Ooh. that talks about socially engaged projects and the role of design and some of my work as a professional designer, some of my teaching practice and pedagogy. Maybe you'll see that and you might just see a paragraph and that would be fine too. <laughs> Uh, it's a very good paragraph. You haven't even read it. You just acknowledge that. I saw you. it. I pulled I pulled it up when you we were going through trying to figure out if if we were going to rewrite it a little bit. Nice. Yep. <laughs> um, thank you so much for for being here, Jordan. Thank you to all of the listeners of this show. If there are any, I guess that's kind of optimistic of me to assume that there are. It might just be me and Jordan. But if you did enjoy this show, God help you, please give it a review. Give it a five-star review if you can. I won't hold it against you if you give it less, but I would really prefer if it were five. And tell a friend because I know a lot of podcasts get listeners by having trusted friends share and enjoy. And this is hopefully a show that you can share and enjoy. Follow us on all the social media things. You can find all that stuff in the notes section of this episode. If you're wondering what those handles are, I don't know what they are yet. I'll get around to it one of these days. I am Sean Schumacher, and this is uh, Did I Do That? And <laughs> as always, we close with the eternal question. Are we not doing Urkel? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Getting flexible, doing the chicken dance. Okay, that's enough. Um... <clears throat> Thanks, Sean. Thank you so much, Jordan. Oh my God, that was that was a perfect closing. Uh, I love that so much. Um, thank you. That was really that was really fun. I hope you got something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I I think there's there's plenty of show meat okay. uh, on those bones. God, it must be so much fucking work to ever present a, a thing that seems cogent. But... You get to hear my clacking. People love clacking. So good at it. This is. I mean, it's primarily an ASMR podcast. It's the it's thing. It's totally all, all about typing. <laughs> In like weird coffee dry mouth. Jordan Rosenblum teaches typing. You t- you you took over for Mavis Beacon. I mean, you're you're a real person, so you have that as an advantage over Mavis Beacon too. Not insignificant. You're not just a collection of stock photos. I think <laughs> it's what we all aspire to be. Ultimately, I know. Actually, I, that would be a great Halloween costume. Is you just have the the Getty Images watermark over your face. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And somehow they'd somehow find a way of collecting royalties on it. Of course. Well, you've got their watermark. What other way do they have to know where that image came it's, from? It's like it's like planting your flag on the moon. It's like as long as someone is tagged with your <laughs> watermark, you fucking own it. Should I be how cautious should I be about swearing? Oh, swear away. <laughs>